Hi, welcome back to Eye to Eye, a weekly podcast talk show about passion, flow, and creativity, a place where we find ourselves in each other's stories. I'm your host, Aaron Holman, and our guest today is... Jonathan Hoover, or Inappropriate Patty. (laughs) Well, Jonathan, Patty, happy you were able to be with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Eye to Eye, Jonathan. How are you? I'm doing well, well, as well as anyone can be doing in these crazy, crazy times. I know. I wake up and every day it's a new, uh, it's a whole new world and I have to decide how I'm going to live in it every day. Right, right. Either I'm advocating or staying home in fear, like one of those two. (laughs) Right. And going to vacillate and I don't know where it'll land. (laughs) All right, so Jonathan, I, like we were talking about right before the interview, I've been a big fan of yours for a long time uh, on the internet. You have uh, garnered some success as this uh, alternate persona that you have called Inappropriate Patty. Uh, Do me a favor and tell our listeners about yourself. Uh, Myself as that persona or myself as myself? Yourself as yourself. And Ah. then the persona. (laughs) Got it. Uh, Myself as myself. Uh, I (laughs) was uh, born and raised in Southern California. Um, My mother was an opera singer who did, uh, who kind of gave all of that up to just have a family. And she did her little church job my whole life. Um, And uh, yeah, I garnered really early that I love to sing and dance and have people clap for me. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, I've been doing that my whole life. And since five years old, when I did uh, copycats of the King at church um, <laughs> and it's been nonstop since then, I've been in New York for 13 going on 14 years now. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that just pounding pavement, finding success where I can find it and living life where there are moments to live in. Very good. Um, So you're an actor. You specialize in musical theater then. Is that correct? Correct. I mean, I'll do anything that gives me money and allows me to keep most of my clothes on. But like, (laughs) yeah, musical, musical theater is my passion because it requires the most at all times. Like anytime I've done a play, they're wonderful and they're so easy because I'm not like stressed about like, oh, is my voice tired? Mm -hmm. Um, but like, I love the discipline and like work doing the most. So musical theater works for me because we are the most. I absolutely agree. Um, there is a huge testament to your skill in being able to recreate a moment authentically, you know, eight times a week. Totally. And to sing about it and to like, try to keep that, I mean, keeping your voice in shape so that it can do the same thing every day without tiring out. Like, that's a science for me that like gets my OCD like excited. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely is something that can take up a lot of uh, your time. The first time you remember doing theater, what was that that you said it was? Copycats of the King. Um, but my first real show was Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Who were you in that? I was Michael Darling. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Pan is a wonderful, wonderful show. I think it is truly magical the first time that you ever get to play with, um, you know, a fly system. 
oh man, I was ruined after that theatrical experience because uh, like how rad getting to fly every day was. Oh, it was incredible. I love, I love danger. I love heights. I love like that pit of the stomach. It's what I love understudying for that same like pit in your stomach, mm-hmm. like fear based, just like go for it. And like, I, it was an ultimate theater is a high, but flying in your first show was like the most ultimate high. And it's a hard one to beat. I mean, you can do 42nd Street, a chorus line, and uh, right. you know, you're, you're not getting off the ground much. <laughs> not for long. Not for very long, no. Something that I would love to know is where did you attend school? Where did your uh, foundation, besides your mother, where did it come from for you? Um, I was actually, so discovered around five that I loved performing, was going to a normal elementary school, then was homeschooled for a period of time because my mother was afraid uh, that being bullied for being effeminate was going to uh, take away my creativity. Um, And then I went to the Academy for the Performing Arts in Southern California for high school. Um, which was like a musical theater slash dance slash acting program. I danced and did the musical theater program there. Um, And then I went to the Pacific Conservatory of the Performing Arts, which sounds so much fancier than it is, uh, (laughs) which is uh, a like classical acting school in the central coast of California. Uh, So, so many great people have come through there and no one's ever heard of it. (laughs) isn't that the way you know um... yeah oh yeah oh yeah and I like I truly owe them everything they're so they were I I, my high school was good because it got me into the dance program and and kind of got that into me but it was a very like pigeonholed sort of this is who you are program and then my college program was very much like yeah cool that you know what your like strengths are but like let's look at all your weaknesses and like build those up so that your strengths become stronger it was like the best decision I ever made. That makes sense. What form of dance did you begin with and uh, which is your favorite? Oh man, that's tough. So I um, always wanted to be Mikhail Baryshnikov. I loved (laughs) ballet growing up. And like when I was really little, my mother put me in like one of those tap ballet combo classes. Yep. Um, And I had to stop because I had to choose between singing and dancing because I didn't grow up with a lot of money. And so uh, I chose to sing just because it's my first love. Absolutely. But I always wanted to dance. And then in high school, we had to take this like musical theater dance class where the heads of the other actual dance departments would come in and teach like a segment. So like the Mm. ballet teacher would come in, the jazz teacher would come in, the tap teacher. And when the ballet teacher came in, um, she singled me out in class and was like, you, you need to dance. And I was fat and like not (laughs) a dancer at that point, not thinking about it. Um, and I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Like I, I'm a musical theater boy. Like I sing that's, I love dance, but that's not it. Um, and she ended up, uh, we went away for spring break and then came back with new classes for the next semester. And I had been pushed into the ballet department. Um, (laughs) It was on my schedule. I went to go argue about it. And they were like, listen, try it for a semester. And like, I was so blessed that these girls who have now moved on to dance with like Southland Ballet, or no, that's the name of the academy, uh, Austin Ballet and ABT, like really took me this like fat nerd under their wings. And like, 
they were so lovely. And that dance, that dance teacher changed my life. She offered me free classes for all four years at her wow. actual studio. And yeah. Yeah. Um, so ballet is my first love. Um, especially it goes along with that, like sort of OCD, like disciplinary yep. thing, but really my like heart lives in like contemporary, like that. So you think you can dance. Yes. Like, basketball shorts and socks kind of <laughs> choreography story driven yeah lots of tilting and emoting and laying out yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but i love i love dancing i i kind of have hung up those shoes as i've entered my 30s but uh i it's still one of my first loves well, it's a skill that um, having it in your wheelhouse will just always benefit you. I can understand not wanting to compete with these 20-year-old actors. Well, and sh necessarily. I was about to say a bad word. Um, stuff has changed, man. Like, the Newsies came out and I was like, I don't even have cartilage for this anymore. Like, mm -hmm. I, uh, I don't, God bless those kids that are tumbling eight times a week. Yep, I absolutely agree. A show that I know that you did at one point, and I would love to know a little bit about because it included a lot of dance, uh, was Anything Goes. You played the part oh, of yeah. Billy Crocker at one point. Um, yeah. Can you talk about that experience? Absolutely. Um, that experience for me is like one of my top theatrical uh, experiences, mostly because I've always, I'm 5'8". I have a high timbre of a voice mm -hmm. um, and uh, I often am the nerd or the best friend or something like the side character. And this was the first time that a director was like, no, you should fall in love and be the leading man. And like, he had this whole concept of, he didn't want Reno Sweeney to be the center of the show as she usually is. Mm -hmm. He wanted Billy Crocker to be the center of the show because it's actually his story. He's the one that stows away on the boat. He's the whole reason the show is happening. Um, and so for me, it was A, a show that I hadn't paid much attention to because Tap never be in it. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, get it, the script is actually really good if you cut out the racism. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's the whole problematic part of it. But um, it was one of those things I mentioned, I love doing things with fear. Um, and I was terrified to step into uh, the young romantic leading male role. I mean, I, singing that music is my wheelhouse, that Cole Porter rounded tone mm -hmm. uh, standard type of musical theater. So like, I wasn't worried about that. It was just the like, are people gonna believe that like, I am the leading man that I am the one who deserves the girl mm. at the end of it. And not only did I get to prove it to myself, but like family members who have seen me in shows throughout a lifetime uh, were, I've never had like people be so proud. Um, and my, my, I've never received such lovely review. It was such a, it was a magical experience. Robbie, the director of it was, I, I I told him our first day of rehearsals, like, I'm fucking scared. Like <laughs> I I I've been trusted with leads, but like usually they're character driven leads, not just like naturally charming guys that like it says in the script, like all the women in New York want him. Like yep. I that's not who I am. And he was like, Don't worry, you're it is who you are. I'm just going to like I'm going to help you he was the best. It was one of those theatrical experiences that I try not to talk too much about anymore because it's like, 
you know, you can go on and on about the things that touch yeah. your life. People are like, okay, yeah, like I'm tired of hearing about anything goes. But like, <laughs> um, it, was a, it was a game changer. Mm -hmm. So it definitely gave you, it sounds like it gave you a lot more confidence in your ability um, oh, to yeah. that lead. Oh yeah, especially because like I had been playing straight men for a while. Like I, I uh, weirdly, a course line was my discovery of like, oh, I can play like a, a an Italian guy, um, and people believe it. Um, but this was the like the next step in kind of understanding that side of my acting ability was like, oh, you'll believe that I love a girl. Like more than that, you'll believe that I want to sleep with her. Like. Yeah. And being the helm of a show like that was, it was great. I can relate to that. Having grown up homosexual, I definitely found, <laughs> um, you know, refuge in musical theater. I went to a performing arts high school in central Louisiana, and I even did it semi-professionally for my early 20s. I'm just not competitive enough is what the reality is for myself. Right. But I can remember a turning point, the first time I ever had to play a villain you know, that was completely out of character for me. And I had to play, it was Uncle Diggory in The Magician's Nephew. Yeah, we did okay. a stage, yeah, we did a stage adaptation of that. So it was way out of my age range, but having to be mean or, or that having to be that romantic lead um, when you're not confident that you can do it. Um, yeah, absolutely terrifying. Yeah, and especially I, I was doing well throughout the rehearsal process. And then when we were getting to the like opening portion, like I was practically throwing up off stage because I was so nervous that people wouldn't buy it or believe it. Um, and so when it all works out, when, when you don't fall on your face and you like rise to a challenge, uh, that is what theater is for me. It is being terrified and then exceeding your own expectation. It's why I have continued to be addicted to this drug is mm. that, that ability to surprise yourself and push yourself and then like having to do it in front of people. <laughs> yeah, it is such a weird thing to have to be so vulnerable in front of people um, at any given moment, you know? Totally. And, and that's what your job is. So kudos to you for doing that. <laughs> Something that ties into what we were just talking about. How do you overcome creative blocks uh, when you do experience those? Have you ever hit those walls? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you've noticed on my account, like uh, I'll post and I'll post like three weeks straight and then I won't post for like six months. Mm -hmm. um, way to sort of deal with that is allowing myself to feel blocked um, and maybe try to understand where it's coming from, but also accept that like, like when all of this quarantine first started going down, I could not access my creativity. I made like one or two Patty videos because it felt like I should just for mm -hmm. like the humor of like, everyone deserves a laugh. Um, but like, it was the most painful video. The Little Shop of Horrors video was one of the most painful videos I have ever made because I didn't want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, I feel like you can only handle it two ways. You either have to be kind with yourself and wait for inspiration to sort of meet you where you're at, or you, if you have to power through it, the only way is through. And that is to just do and hope. But I also typically will search for something that will ignite that passion in me. I, I, I met my inability to, uh, 
make these patty videos or do something creative when I was able to turn it into social activism in this uh, and raise money for a cause by doing uh, making videos that for me now I'm now I'm back in the game now I love creating now I, that like ignited giving it purpose again ignited it for me so like I think it's if it's not coming then you have to figure out what it is that's going to ignite that fire and if that's forcing yourself to do it or if that's giving yourself just cause to do it mm -hmm. that has been sort of my only way through that's wonderful advice that really is <laughs> you touched on something that was your reason or uh something that reignited it for you was finding a little more purpose for it uh i know that you recently did a fundraiser i believe it was for black visions collective correct um, yeah what did that look like Oh man, um, well, this whole pandemic has been really sad. I've been feeling a little uh, lost uh, in terms of what art is going to be. And then um, it kind of feels like bad news was compiling on top of bad news. We're watching our black brothers and sisters be murdered without just cause. Um, and we were sitting here when the George Floyd protests started and my partner and I, and we were like, I, I have to, I have to do something. I have to do more than just yell at my white relatives on the internet and march like and sign petitions. Like what else can I do? And like, I feel very blessed to have built this modest little platform out of screaming in my bathroom. Um, <laughs> and so the only thing I could think of to do was to raise money. Like, uh, and so I, uh, was sitting here and I was like, but how do I do like a live concert or do I like what, how can I raise the maximum amount of money? Like mm -hmm. what would be the most enticing option? And so I decided to kind of follow the Broadway bears model of like, you give me something and I give you something for your generosity. So yeah. like, I know tons of friends who do bears that are like, you'll get a personal message from me if you donate this much, or maybe I'll sing a song or for like a thousand dollars, I'll do a dinner where I come and sing. Like, and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to steal that model and I'll make personal videos for people. And I still have like 10 I need to do. I know who you are. I promise I'll get them to you. Um, <laughs> I've been moving into my living room. Um, there. But uh, yeah, it just came to be out of, uh, I needed to do something. I have a small platform and like, why build it if I'm not going to use it for a good cause was mm -hmm. sort of my, at the end of the day, like, what's it for? Like, yeah. If you're not using your powers for good, then they're right. Like, I mean, this all started as something that I did for, I mean, if I'm being honest, self-promotion, I'm terrible at doing my like thank you cards and sending my headshots out and like emailing all the casting directors. It's just not who I am. And so this was like my way to like weasel into the zeitgeist. Um, but on the other side of this, it also has a reach that I never thought I could have. And if I can activate people or get a message out there or raise money for look up the black visions collective it is by far one of the it, it's a black trans organization out there queer trans yes. organization out there doing work for all black lives like that how could i not want to do something good for them with that platform how many people got a message from patty uh 95 95 people yeah, it was a full-time job, for sure. <laughs> That's very impressive. Job. Congratulations on being able to use your platform um, 
to enact some very positive change. Very Thank real you. Change. I, I, I think the people that even cared enough to participate in my little fundraiser, they, they, they did the real work. I just screamed in my bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and dive a little bit into your alternate persona now. Um, yeah. Uh, the thing that we have been talking about sort of around it. Uh, inappropriate Patty. You are known for voice impressions. Uh, the ones that I'm aware of that I have seen, Carol Channing, Bernadette Peters, Patti Lapone. I've heard rumor that you do a Mandy Patinkin. I've never seen I this. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, tell us where that passion for voices comes from and uh, what you've been doing with it. I have always been an imitator always i remember when i was little um there was a commercial and i can't remember what it was for but this woman talked with this voice that and i i started doing it my mom was like i was like seven and my mom was like that's really good and then uh i was obsessed carol channing i knew about carol channing before i knew about musical theater because of uh 1980s alice in wonderland that she did um and so i had like rediscovered the vhs when i was like eight and started imitating her um to the point that i would lose my voice um and so like that kind of began it um and I have been doing impressions my whole life of people that nobody cares about, like people I'm in shows with or teachers or um, things like that. It never really occurred to me that I should like try to find people that are famous to Im- imitate. Um, and so, yeah, it's always been like this random skill, like the girl that played Carmen on the national tour of fame. No one knows who she is, but I do an imitation of her, you know, that, like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, things like that. So it's always been this like uh, skill that I've had, but it's only uh, in the last few years that I was like, oh, I should like harness that and try to like make something out of it. So how did you go about using it? What was the first thing that, that you created uh, as these people? Well, everybody, uh, for years, like people have been asking me, like, there's a director that I worked with a bunch that I would imitate and people like kind of call on that. And then it really kind of started with figuring out that I could imitate Patty um, and stop me if you've heard this story. But I discovered that I could do her because I heard the rumor that she was called in for the witch and into the woods. Mm. And she said that she didn't want to be seen as a witch so she'd like to be seen for Cinderella instead. Um, and oh. the idea of that just was so ridiculous <laughs> to me. Um, yeah. And so funny to me um, that I like got in the shower and was like, what is that even, what would that even sound like? Like and started like working through it and sort of in the middle of it somewhere, I was like, wait, am I actually doing a, fine job of imitating Patti Lapone. So I got out and voice, got out of the shower, voice memoed it, listened to it and was like, I kind of feel like I'm on the verge of tackling this impression. I sent it to my friend Omar. Mm. My friend Omar, Paul and Efren are the reason that any of this exists. Well, thank Um, you. (laughs) (laughs) um, And so I sent it to my friend Omar and he was like, that's ridiculous. And so it started to become this game amongst my friends of like, what would Patty sound like singing this? What would Patty sound like singing that? And like Bernadette, I had been like jokingly imitating for a while, but like then finally started to hone that. And she became, it was like Bernadette and Patty were the two requests. And then finally, I don't even know what 
inspired it. But one year I was leaving New York on Christmas day to go home to California to see my parents. And I uh, decided that because I wasn't going to see anybody over the Christmas holiday, I was going to be gone for like a month, um, that I would record Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas as me as Patti Lapone, Bernadette, and uh, Carol Channing. And I put it on Facebook and then literally got on a plane. And when I got off, the video had like 2,500 views, which for me was like, a lot um yep. especially on youtube which is really i didn't promote it i didn't do anything with it but uh pandora box had found it and yes. tweeted it and it like made it go around a little bit um and all of my friends were like you gotta you gotta do something with this you gotta do but i'm again i'm really kind of lazy when it comes to self-promotion and like things that would bring notoriety so like i sat on an idea for years um, until finally my friend Paul was like, just do an Instagram account. Like, cause I've been sending them video. I have a backlog of videos that I would never post. Cause it's just like me walking in my bathroom being like, here's what she would sound like singing Rihanna's S and M. Like, um, <laughs> and so they've been receiving these videos for a while and they were like, you need to turn this into an account. You need to like do something with this. And my friend Paul was like, and call it inappropriate Patty. Um, and so finally I was like, you know what? My career had sort of reached a place where I felt like until I started to do the networky things that you need to do to keep your name afloat, that I, I was at this sort of like standstill and feeling really divided between being the artist that I want to be and the artist I'm supposed to be in order to gain more success. And I don't like the model. I don't like the model of kissing ass. It's just not who I am. I, it's just, I, it does, it, I am, I love telling people that I love, that I like them uh, or that I love their art. But if I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't, I, I don't want to do it. I, I also choreograph and direct and like you smell when people want something from you. And like, I don't like that feeling. So I don't mm -hmm. want to be one of those people. Yep. Um, and so this, it was like, a well, I got nothing to lose. Why don't I just make an Instagram account and maybe somehow that'll be get into the right hands and that can help be a way that when my headshot crosses their desk, they're like, oh, right, this guy. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's how it came to be. Wow. Way to take a special skill and make it like, I mean, your absolute strength. <laughs> I mean, it's actually gotten to the point too where I'm like, oh man, like, I'm going to only, people don't request, I, no one's asking Jonathan Hoover to come sing at Birdland. They want oh. me to come do my inappropriate Patty persona, which I'm here for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's funny how it's kind of taken on a life of its own. It's provided me access to things I truly would dream of as a kid, like people who comment and like and follow and write me messages. Like I, I, a, a nerd 14-year-old Jonathan Hoover would be beside himself to know that I, just screaming in my bathroom, could provide that for me. <laughs> well, I know for myself, it has provided a great deal of entertainment over the many years, and I'm excited to watch it only continue. Um, one of my absolute personal favorites is uh, when you do... Patty Lapone as Mimi in Rent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's the outfit 
the look over the shoulder is correct, ma'am. Um, <laughs> I love when I can't even understand it sometimes. Yeah, know? yeah. I go back and I watch videos and I'm like, I did this and I can't even tell what song it is. <laughs> right. There, there are times where I have to listen to it three times to be like, oh, that's Sweeney Todd. <laughs> right. In a really weird way. Let's go ahead and take just a quick break and we'll be right back. Listeners, we are back. We have on the show today a very special guest, Jonathan Hoover. Something I wanted to ask about, you were talking about being very young and a role that I know that you loved very young, but then brought to life in your early 20s is Bat Boy. Now, this is yeah. a show that um, gets overlooked, I think, far too often. And it is the best show. Yeah, and I never see it get done. You no, know, because it doesn't uh, sell tickets. <laughs> that's a shame. Uh, uh, right? Yeah. Right? I mean, it's really entertaining. Oh, it's, it is one of my absolute favorites has been for a long time. And it makes me so sad because it was supposed to transfer to Broadway and then 9-11 hit. So I feel like it never mm. got its due diligence because it closed early off Broadway. And like, I think it would be, it's the beginning of self-aware theater. Like mm. the, the, yep, we know it's cheesy musical theater and we're going to go ahead and name it and show you and continue being cheat. Like, it's just, I... It paved the way for shows like Xanadu and uh, all these self-aware scripts, even Chair Show, which was super aware of how cheesy it was. Like, I, I don't think we would have the genre of theater without that boy paving that sort of way. Now, where did you play this role? And um, when did you do it? Uh, it was in, oh God, when was that? 2015, 16, one of the two. Mm -hmm. um, so hard to remember nowadays because yesterday feels like a year ago. Um, but um, uh, it came to be because uh, I have a dear friend, Valerie Rochelle, who has been, uh, she's one of the first directors that put me in like, she gave me Joseph, which was like a, a huge career change for me from being like an ensemble member to like now playing mostly principal parts. Um, and she, uh, has been directing all over the country and sort of keeping me with her when she can. And now she runs the Oregon Cabaret Theater out in Ashland, Oregon. Mm. And uh, she had, they do like five to six shows every year, but one show is a guaranteed flop passion project, like a show that one of them wants to direct or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they really wanted to do Bat Boy. And she was like, but the only reason that I'll, the only way I'll do it is if before I pay for the rights, you'll agree to play uh, Bat Boy. And so I was like, I mean, if you insist. Um, <laughs> and so it, it was literally a lucky happenstance of like uh, a dear friend having the ability to provide me with a dream. and. Uh, and you have to audition. It was nice. <laughs> that, yeah, that is very, very nice when that um, gets to happen. No, never really happens anymore, but I'll take it when it does. <laughs> Absolutely. Something I'm really curious about, who are your influences in the industry, both in terms of just acting, musical theater, and then in terms of impressions? Are there anybody uh, who stands out? 
Well, I'll start with impressions because Christine Petty has been uh, Forbidden Broadway yes. was one of my childhood just absolute dreams. And as someone who knew I could imitate, even when I hadn't heard of Forbidden Broadway, she she's so impressive. There's just, I mean, uh, her I, I, Bernadette she, is my all time favorite Bernadette. Her, her Angela Lansbury is another. <laughs> world um and christina bianca also yes. like who uh, I, I would say those two ladies for me i don't think there's anybody who does impressions as well as those two out there and like i, I know uh i didn't really ever get i saw christine in forbidden broadway when i came to visit my brother here in the 90s um mm -hmm. but i don't remember a lot about her but watching christina bianca and her bianco and all her videos um actually sort of was helpful for me watching her mouth uh in, <laughs> in getting certain impressions because it's like oh right right i see that you're using your teeth this specific way for that person oh let me try that for um so like those two women for me are idols um oh when yeah christina, when christina followed me on social media i was like I made it. oh don't lose your cool don't lose your cool um yeah. But uh, those are my influences on the impression side. Um, Brian D.R.C. James, I would marry his voice. Oh, me too. He would, if he would have me. Um, <laughs> he, he, for me, is uh, of, there are so many extremely talented men in this industry. Um, he is so all around. Like he, I have never, ever seen him be bad in a show. And he's always never, believable in it. Always wow. believable. And I don't know if it's just because he's really good at choosing things inside of his wheelhouse, but like from Burrs to friggin' the dad and next to normal to King George, like yep. he, he for me is one of my vocal idols. Um, I also grew up uh, going to Stephanie J. Block's vocal teacher as a kid, and mm. she had the lesson right after mine. Um, and I, she has been an idol since I was in the third grade. Like mm -hmm. I, she has, so like, I would say those two, but then like, there's so many other actors that of course. I, like, I mean, yeah, there uh, there are so many people I could name in this moment. On uh, the note of impressions, there are two people I would love to mention. Laura Benanti does a Melania Trump impression. Absolutely. I think is, I mean, unreal. I can't <laughs> believe how good it is. Uh, from her, I've learned to do a Melania impression, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it a good one? You know, no. <laughs> only time. Only time will tell. Yeah, only time will tell. And, you know, uh, I forgot who the other person was uh, because I'm, like, blown away by Laura Benanti. Um, <laughs> besides doing the voices that we're familiar with, do you have any other passions or secret talents that we have yet to see? Uh, secret talents. Um, I'm teaching myself to play the piano right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, secret talents. I used to dance on point. Um, wow. And I used to be a, a decent skateboarder. Um, but those those two things have sort of fallen by the wayside with age. Um, I can knit. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an extremely good knitter. Um, really good at arranging furniture. Um, that, that is, uh, give me 10 things that you need put in a room and I will put them together the best way. Uh, building Ikea furniture, I'm an <laughs> expert. Um, 
I don't know what other hidden talents are. I'm pretty boisterous, so they're all out there. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> oh, I remember who the other person that I was going to mention was. Uh, it's not necessarily an impression, but it is a uh, affected character voice that I love. Marla Mendel. She she is very very talented. Uh, she does a performance of Colors of the Wind. I uh huh. I can't even remember what benefit that that was for. But uh, I want to say it was Easter Bonnet. Mm, yes, and I watched that performance honestly probably at least once every six months. Uh, <laughs> I just think that it is uh, a wonderful tour de force of. I mean, all the classic tropes, you know. And she wasn't even a uh, like Broadway performer yet. They like literally, uh, she knew a bunch of people in the show and they were like, my friend Marla is really hilarious. <laughs> um, and I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because she's part of that like Michigan crew, yes. if I remember correctly. Um, and so like a few of them were in whatever show was presenting and were like, we need to use my friend Marla because she's hilarious. And that sort of, it, my understanding has put her on the map in terms of all of that. Wow, that, you know, it makes a lot of sense. There was just a lot of personality that she displayed in, in that performance. And then she belts like a dream. Yes, she really does. Uh, the Life I Never Led, unbelievable. Yeah. What is your favorite musical currently? Oh, man, that is such a hard question. Um, I'm going to say, and this is a, a long time answer, but my I have been so obsessed with follies recently mm. um it is it is one of my it is my favorite sondheim um but uh i i've been i just did sondheim on sondheim and uh my i did it in arizona and drove to california to visit my parents in the mm -hmm. middle of that contract and both ways decided because i was in the show that i would listen to his entire canon there and back um and i i stand by follies being one of the greatest pieces of theater ever written yes i know his assassins is his favorite but uh you know follies, assassins I, is one of my favorites too uh follies, oh, it's perfection yeah i think follies is one of i think follies and a chorus line are the two best pieces of theater written about theater you totally know. and what i love about follies and I, you know as i get older i think it's a message that we all relate to is it's so much it's ben's song it's the roads you didn't take that whole show is about the roads you didn't take and the question you know as life goes on you question more and more what you could have should have would have done what could what possibly could be and you know they go into this magical thinking experience of of delusion of what that dream could be because we idolize these past versions of ourselves and these moments not realizing that what we ended up with is so much better than what could have been uh, it's yeah. just it's a perfect it's about theater but it's about the human experience i think it could easily be written about a class reunion you know oh my and, goodness and absolutely. still and still hold weight i mean you can't have like the french number but whatever Mm -hmm. uh, for me, the the songs is the mirror song and uh -huh. losing my mind. Those two numbers. Uh, I was fortunate enough to um, I visited New York and I was able to see uh, this past revival of it with Bernadette uh, and Elaine Page was in it mm -hmm. as well. Um, transcendent experience, you know, watching the mirror song, which I believe was Lilius White who did that. And, no, it was. Uh, oh, I can't remember her name. Uh, unless she, unless Lilius replaced, um, I think oh, she I'll might have, but I can't. Oh, did she? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's up on the YouTube. The whole mm -hmm. production. <laughs> Is it really? Yeah. 
Oh. Oh yeah, the whole thing. Um, but I think it's from Kennedy Center, uh, Center, mm-hmm. and not from Broadway. Mm-hmm. I just recently rewatched it. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that one. I think if I had to pick though a favorite Sondheim, um, I'm in Company. You know, uh, really interesting. Yeah. What for, about what about Company? Yeah. Uh, for me, what it was is I can remember. It was one of my first experiences. I got the original cast album when I had to have been 15, you know, mm-hmm. from the library. And uh, <laughs> I kept that and I, I played it over and over again. So I actually learned a lot of how to sing uh, from mimicking uh, that album. Um, and of course it was the Bobby stuff that I was, uh, you know, working on the most. But I have a very beautiful experience with a theater director who has since passed, but I was 16 years old and we were doing, we were doing Assassins. I was in a production of Assassins uh, at a local college that I'd gotten cast in. It was crazy. But I remember I was there with him and the accompanist and I was working on being alive for an audition for something Mm -hmm. else. And I sang it and I remember them looking at me and his name was Richard Gortney. And he looked at me and he said, that sounded great you have no idea what the song is about, <laughs> you know, and, and, and you can't, you know, and that was such a powerful moment because I believed him, you know, I, I, mm-hmm. I remember looking at him, he was a much older man, you know, mid forties and he's looking at me and he's like, you have no idea what this is about yet, but you will. And I don't know. Uh, I kind of took it as a challenge when he said that, you know, like, uh-huh. well, I'm going to stick with this and I will find out what this is about. And, you know, it didn't even take 10 years later you know, right. to, to understand all the nuances that, of course, I did not understand at 15. Totally. Um, so it's just one that I grew up with, stuck with me, very impactful. It has some of his greatest music, too. Another Hundred People might be one of my most favorite songs he's ever written. And I'm Not Getting Married Today. And Marry Me a Little. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that one I've actually very recently gone back to and um, liked more than I ever have before. I used to take it into auditions until it just never went well. <laughs> <laughs> At some point you have to take the note and be like, all right, we're doing something uh, else. Okay. Yeah. People know how to play that. <laughs> so before we move into our final section of things, is there advice that you would looking back give yourself? Mm, uh, if I were to give advice to myself, it would be never lose your soprano range. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, <laughs> um, I used to, I take notes really personally. I take uh, criticism very personally. And I became so, I, growing up a child actor, and then you move into that weird period where there's nothing for you until you get into your late tween, teens. And um, I, I, I destroyed myself in that time because I took it all so personally. Um, and I think if I could offer myself anything, it would be to not take that person, like to, if I could have taken rejection the way I take it now, I'd be so much further along mentally and personally. Mm, those are very important words for sure. Uh, being kind to yourself, it sort of circles being back Being kind to, to yourself. Yeah. I still mm-hmm. work on that with therapists. <laughs> <laughs> as you should. As, as we all, all should. should. Yes. Yes. <laughs> In case you don't know, you should go get some therapy listeners. Uh, there's nobody who that's not going to help. No, no, <laughs> like, no. That's the part that uh, anytime I've ever advocated for that with my friends, I'm just like, 
there's no way you're not going to be helped just by somebody listening. Yeah, and your problems are worth helping even if other people are worse off than you in this world. Mm -hmm. And then what have you been creating lately? Honestly, I'm still in finishing up my my Patty video uh, uh, fundraising. So uh, I have not had the chance to really focus on uh, anything outside of that. Um, uh, I had been doing Zoom play readings with an acting class that I had been participating in before all of this. Mm -hmm. um, and that had been sort of a creative outlet, but because things are reopening, we've recently sort of disbanded the idea. Um, other than that, it's, I'm teaching myself piano. That's, that's my creative outlet. I think that's fantastic. Let's move into our final section of the podcast, a section I like to call Passions Lately. Ah. Oh. I think I know the answer, but let's just see. <laughs> Jonathan, what have you been passionate about lately? Well, I'm sure you're ready for this one. Uh, I just bought a piano because it was, well, not bought, it was free. Um, and uh, Even better. Pay, paid to have it delivered, but that was nominal for what a piano costs. Um, I have always played by ear and I can plunk notes out um, and been sort of naturally gifted on a piano, but uh, I don't know, how, I have no technique. I don't have music theory other than like being able to plunk. Um, and so I've been teaching myself that for an hour every day for the last two weeks. Um, and that has like, that has been so fun and hard and so mm -hmm. much fun. Um, and also I've been, uh, I had a roommate move out and so I've taken over my whole apartment. Um, and like, I have been so passionate about nesting and like finding, making my, you know, older than I would care to admit. And it's the first time I am like really making my apartment my apartment. And I, I feel very passionately about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I understand. I understand that ownership and kind of uh, the fulfilling of your space. Very important. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, like making decisions, not because they're the easy one, but because it's actually what you want. Like, the furniture I've been finding and like mm -hmm. not getting something because it's the cheapest, but like actually waiting so that I can get the credenza of my dreams for the right price. Like, I like Facebook that. I think market. that's the title of the episode right there. The credenza <laughs> of my dreams. <laughs> the credenza <laughs> of my dreams. I'm, I found it. So. Yes! <laughs> Success! <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, something I've been passionate about lately, uh, I have recently gotten into uh, a new musical, um, A Strange Loop. Oh, uh, oh it is oh, so good. My God. I got it, the last tick. I got the last ticket in town to go see it. Uh, one of the boys in my acting class was the cover for the lead. And so uh, I was like, I gotta go, I gotta go see this at Playwrights Horizons. Uh, I don't think I've ever sat in a theater. I've been a musical fan for a long, long time. Um, and it is rare that I sit down and see a piece of theater like I've never seen before. In a strange loop, I was like, you are saying things that I have heard my friends say in real life Correct. all over the place and putting it to music. And when is the last time that we gave a hefty gay black boy the center of a musical so that he could tell the story of so many people that yeah. I know? I, I have chills just thinking Same. about it. 
it's... I have been obsessed. Uh, Larry Owens, uh, the lead actor in that, he mm-hmm. uh, he has his own podcast. Uh, oh, I didn't know. Yeah, it's called uh, What Makes You Sing, and it's absolutely brilliant. He sits down with uh, either a musical guest or a comedian, and they just sort of go through, hey, what's the music that made you? And so uh, it's offered a brilliant way to get to know um, him in it. And uh, that's one of the things that he talks about as well, is how personal the material is that he gets to perform. Um, (laughs) That his own mother was asking him like, did you tell them about that? Like that experience, <laughs> right. tell them because it is their own experience. Um, totally. Yeah. It is a story I've never seen on stage. And so worthy of being told, especially right now, like in a time where a black men specifically, I mean, black people as a whole are being murdered without yep. any repercussion. But the black queer experience is something that I feel like we're only just beginning to touch the surface of. And like, this did it not, not only did it, but like did it in such a brash, honest and unfair. It feels to me like Michael R. Jackson had just had it. Yeah. Just had it (laughs) and decided would put there exactly the kind of art he wanted. And look at how successful it was. It, yeah. I am so mad that it didn't get like a Helen Hayes kind of life for something on Broadway because uh, I mean, being Pulitzer Prize winning is pretty great, but like I want every, I want it to tour. I want, I want a fucking little black boy in Iowa who feels disenfranchised, not only by the country, but by people who do not care for his queerness to see that and be like, God, look at how worthwhile I am. Look at, Look at this piece of theater. I agree. The impact that that could have, them seeing themselves represented in that industry alone, you know. Um, Huge. Yeah, the the repercussions would be forever lasting. Right, perhaps uh, the main character wouldn't have to live his white girl fantasy if more shows like that existed. Very, very, very true. A brilliant song. Uh, the whole thing has has moved me you know, um, so that has been my passion lately. Definitely diving into uh, both Larry Owens and Michael Jackson's other mm-hmm. works, and uh, specifically a Strange Loop. Um, go listen to it if you haven't. Get on this album. It is everything, people. It is so. It it's so good. It's a must listen for any musical theater lover at this point. Absolutely, especially a gay musical theater lover, like. Mm-hmm. Because even as a man who is not of color, that I still related to the queerness. Like, it spoke words I just, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. Deserved the full answer. It absolutely did. Our final question for the pod. What is the most recent thing that has happened to you that has made you purely happy? Was it that credenza? (laughs) um uh my old roommate i love you as i say this um but uh my apartment is a one bedroom that i turned into a two bedrooms um and got rid of my living room um so that i could have a roommate and now uh being an adult enough to have my own uh full apartment to myself um that that has been a source of incredible joy. Also, actually, you know what has brought me the most joy in this time is uh, 
every night at seven o'clock, I went up to my roof to clap for essential workers. Um, and I live in a building of 101 units, lots and lots of people, but I live right by the entrance. So I've never really met anyone in the eight years that I've lived here. Um, but there was a group of neighbors who also went up there every night and clapped. And now that the clapping has subsided and all of that, we're all friends. I know my neighbors in a way I've never known them. Uh, we all have outdoor parties together and like we've become sort of each other's quarantine uh, circle. And that has been a source of pure joy, not only because it's really great to know my neighbors, but we're all different kinds of humans who were brought together just because we wanted to be thankful to people who were risking their lives to work for us. Um, and a beautiful friendship that's real has come out of it. Um, that has been my greatest source of happiness lately. Wow. Uh, that is one of the most positive things that I've heard come out of this entire time. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. Um, is there any social media, anything you have to promote or, uh, how can people follow you? Uh, at inappropriate patty, which is incredibly hard to spell. Um, I still, <laughs> I still get um, I'll type it in the description <laughs> for sure. Um, but that's the best way if you're interested in my uh, my little impression. Um, otherwise, you can find JD Hooves uh, on there also. But he's very boring. He very he very rarely posts. <laughs> Who's she, anyways? Yeah, who is she? She's not, she's, she doesn't she go here. Yeah, she doesn't belt at me. <laughs> um, before we absolutely go, uh, can can I get a little bit of Patty? <laughs> can I say oh, hi? Oh, sure. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what she should sing. Well, um, Patty, how how have you been holding up during these quarantine times? Are you ready for well, a drink? Oh, I am ready for all the drinks. I've been having so much white wine and <laughs> cooking and hanging out with my son in my basement. <laughs> with my well, jukebox and my massage tables. You know, her videos from home have been uh, a delight. She was, she was trolling me. I'm like, pa I was like, there's no need for me anymore. Patty is... She's herself. The moment she came out in her Sunset Boulevard gear, I was like, I should skip <laughs> on my account i should should delete all of this oh my god that's awesome well thank you so much for joining me on eye to eye today jonathan hoover of course thank you for having me yeah it has been an unbelievable pleasure uh thank you listeners for being here with us now go outside we'll be here when you get back <laughs> this episode of eye to eye was edited by dylan newman and the theme song written and performed by emily easley Make sure to rate and subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy podcasts today.